You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. And before we get into the Oilers talk, let's thank our sponsor, DraftKings. Basketball season won't be around forever. So get in on all of the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes using the code word THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. And baseball fans, you may have missed out on a season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get on all of the Daily Fantasy action, where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app now. Download the DraftKings app and use promo code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code word THPN. And you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. On this episode of the Other Connor Podcast, we will talk to Tyler Yaremchuk of TSN 1260s, one half of the Lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon. He also writes at Oilers Nation. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Tyler Yaremchuk. We'll talk to Tyler about the Oilers' loss to the Calgary Flames on Thursday night, 3-1. Bit of a demoralizing loss, but uh, we'll see if there's any positives that Tyler can point out to us. We're also going to talk to Ryan Pike. He, of course, writes at Flames Nation. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Ryan and Pike. Both these interviews conducted immediately following the Oilers' 3-1 loss to the Flames on Thursday evening. My opinion of that game, disappointing, but maybe not too surprising. The Edmonton Oilers, of course, coming off a 3-1 victory on Wednesday night over the Winnipeg Jets. You factor in traveling home, you probably don't get a very good sleep and then you have to play a game against a team in the Calgary Flames who'd been off since Monday. I really didn't like the Oilers' chances going into this one. I thought they would have needed a really hot start, and uh, if they didn't get that, I thought they were going to get into a little bit of trouble. That was the case. Uh, Some good news for the Edmonton Oilers, of course, though. Ryan McLeod, game number three once again. Doesn't look out of place. That's nice for the young kid, the 2018 second-round pick. And James Neal playing in games on consecutive nights and uh, of course his struggle with COVID pretty well documented he's had a hard go at it this year but for him to play in games on back-to-back nights I think that's a big step and he would be a huge addition to have in your lineup going forward especially getting into the playoff stretch run but for the Edmonton Oilers you know what Tough loss. I don't think you're going to get too worried about it. You're still safely in playoff contention. And now you turn your attention to Saturday night when you take on the Calgary Flames once again. 8 o'clock start. If you're looking for some pregame coverage, might I recommend TSN 1260. Tom Gazzola, former NHLer Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered. That one gets going at 6.30 Saturday night on TSN 1260. But let's jump into it with our first guest here on the show, Tyler Yaremchuk of TSN 1260 
and OilersNation.com. You can listen to him Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon. He is one half of the lowdown with Low Tide. And you can also give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Yaremchuk. Tyler joining us immediately following the Oilers 3-1 loss to the Calgary Flames, driving home back to St. Albert. Tyler, thanks a lot for doing this. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, just wasted two and a half hours watching that dud of a hockey game. Other than that, I'm good. So if if people don't know, you are actually driving home from the Ice District, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Not really an inspiring performance on a Thursday evening. What was your main takeaway from that loss to the Calgary Flames? If you had to rank people who were not interested in being at Rogers Place tonight... (laughs) The first 18 would be the Oilers skaters, and 19 would be me. Um, because the Oilers' effort just absolutely put me to bed tonight. And I know it's tough. Like, I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack here. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek. But, like, teams who have been playing back-to-back games where the second game is in a different city, which that's the situation here. They had to travel late last night. The numbers have been ugly for that team the next night. So I get that it's tough to fly back home, land early in the morning, turn around and play another game the next night against a team that, you know, is in their minds fighting to keep their playoff hopes alive. So I I get it to an extent why you'd be exhausted, but I would have just liked to see a little bit of pushback or a little bit more of something from this Oilers team because that thing – it was flatter than a glass of cola you let sit on the counter for three days. Like, it was just brutal. Was there anyone, in your opinion, that thought you thought played an okay game? I mean, I thought James Neal might have played one of his better games. James Neal played his best game of the season, and holy crap, James Neal was probably <laughs> their best forward. Doesn't that kind of sum things up when the guy who's played, like, three games in the last month and a half is creating the best scoring chances. Uh, I thought Ryan McLeod had another really good game. Like, it's clicking. You can tell this guy can compete at the NHL level. I think he's got the brain to create offense and to think through plays at the NHL level. He's got the speed to rip through the neutral zone. Ryan McLeod just every game is getting me more and more excited because it's looking like the Oilers have kind of found their third-line center of the future here, that guy who can be and play in that complementary role behind McDavid and Dreisaitl. So I really like McLeod. I really like Neal in this one. I think getting him going before the playoffs is important. I don't think I really liked, honestly, anyone else on the roster tonight. And I'm not just saying that as someone who's, like, grumpy because they sat in the cold rink and watched that. Like, I actually don't think there was anyone else who had a passable performance tonight. You know what? Maybe Nuge, actually. Maybe Nuge. And going into this game, uh, Tom and I talked about it on the pregame show. And for me, I thought Ryan McLeod, I mean, this guy just still has that youthful exuberance. You knew he was going to come out and play only game number three in the NHL. And I thought it was an encouraging sign that James Neal was actually going to play in this game back-to-back nights, uh, two games in a row. We've had questions about his, I guess, cardio and, you know, how how could he, how long can he play? Could he get going in the playoffs? But a good sign for James Neal. I think this is something that's probably going to stick in Dave Tippett's head a little bit with Neal as well because Tippett kind of said that it was earlier this week that, you know, he wants to get Neal going a little bit here. And I think they look at him as a veteran who knows how to play that playoff style of hockey. You know, he's gone on runs with Nashville. He's gone on runs with Vegas. When you hear that phrase, you know, doing what it takes, James Neal knows what it takes to go on deep runs. And I think he's an important guy to kind of have in the room come down the stretch. But with that being said, you know, you got to do more than just be an important guy in the room, right? you got to be able to contribute on the ice. So I think that's why they're giving James Neal a lot of minutes. I think that's why they didn't rest him tonight in favor of, 
whoever is a left winger they could have thrown in, whether it's, well, I mean, Ennis is probably the only choice, but um, I, I think that's why they're playing him so much is because they view him as a guy who could play an important role come playoff time, and tonight he passed a really big test. You talked about Ryan McLeod as well, another guy who played quite well on uh, Thursday night despite the loss to the Calgary Flames, and just his third game in the NHL, uh, second-round pick back in 2018. Now, obviously it's early, but, you know, if you were to look at this guy, what kind of player do you think he can be down the road for this team? I wonder what he would look like as a winger because, again, I think he's a big body. He skates well, and he clearly has puck skills. I wonder as a left winger up with McDavid or Dryside of what he would look like. But I think if we're talking long-term future here, he's a guy who can – he has penalty-killing experience in Bakersfield. He has power play experience in Bakersfield. He might honestly just be the perfect third-line center for this team. How long have we been sitting here talking about, you know, needing to form a third scoring line and getting that depth going for the Oilers? When they signed Kyle Turris this offseason, that was supposed to be the answer to sort of that problem they've been dealing with, and that clearly wasn't it. But if McLeod can be that guy and just be a third-line center who once in a while gets a little bit of power play time, kills penalties, and gives you, you know, in an 82-game season 40 points a year... I think you're just absolutely thrilled with that. And through three games, I don't see a reason to believe he won't be that guy moving forward. Got no uh, real rhyme or reason to this. Uh, we'll talk about the game, the games against the Jets later on. But just looking at the, you know, the future of this team, and I've talked about it like I think the last couple podcasts. If you know Dylan Holloway can be that left winger hypothetically for Connor McDavid, maybe Jesse Puljujarvi stays on the top line. Your second line could be uh, Yamamoto, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins if he is able to be resigned. You got McLeod on the third line, a guy like Raphael Lavoie potentially coming up eventually. Like. There's a lot of reason to be excited about some of the young players on this Oilers team. Shout out to Peter Shirelli, eh? <laughs> like, I mean, fans can rip him because he made a bunch of just terrible, terrible de- decisions on the trade front and signing. But damn, he turned this team's drafting around. And his, his kind of group there that he had running the ship with him, Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, I know Dylan Holloway doesn't fall into that group, but Ryan McLeod certainly does as well. They've drafted really, really well the last few years. And during the decade of darkness, they didn't. They never got those guys in later rounds. It was the lottery picks who you'd hope to pan out and then a whole lot of nothing. But now they're finding these guys in the second, third, fourth, and fifth round in some cases who are turning themselves into legitimate prospects. And like you just rattled off a few names that are really, really good potential players. And those are just the guys that are close. Like, let's talk about Philip Broberg. Let's talk about Tyler Tulio and Carter Savoy. The system's deep right now. And I know they don't have a lot of picks coming up this year, but they still have their first rounder. So in all likelihood, be adding another piece to the prospect pool. Something to remember is, you know, when you get all these guys, and let's say Holloway pans out, and let's say, you know, Lavoie looks like a player soon as well then what you can start doing is take sort of the pieces who are still a couple years away and use them as trade chips as well. And I think that's encouraging as the Oilers should, you know, this offseason be entering a window where it starts to become Stanley Cup or bust. To have both young players coming up into your lineup that can contribute on their ELCs is so important in a flat cap world. But also to have these other young players that you can use as trade chips is just as important. Oh yeah, 100%. And I mean, if, if they're going to go out there and look for a goaltender through free agency or, you know, whatever it might be and, you know, paying Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins, 
you got to have guys on the up and coming and you know on their entry level deals like you say i mean it's so crucial for success and i yeah. i mean they've just done a really good job of it and it the transition was nice into the ken holland era where there's some patience and and you don't mind keeping guys in bakersfield yeah. and we got to give credit to jay woodcroft and uh dave manson the staff down in bakersfield seemingly doing a great job because when these guys come up they're ready to play yeah, and just quickly what I'll say, like, next year, can you imagine if Holloway, McLeod, and uh, Pugliarvi are all in this team's top nine? They would have three key pieces of their top nine in the lineup, none of them making more than $1.3 million. That's crazy. But on, uh, on the topic of Woodcroft, I think this is a product of having a coach in the minors who understands what his job is, right? Like, in the past, when it would be Fleming or even Todd Nelson, it really felt like the Bakersfield teams or the Oklahoma City teams, I should say, were trying to win, right? Like, you would see these 29-year-old journeymen who were getting priority minutes over guys who the team had drafted two years ago or acquired in a trade, and it just... It felt like those coaches were sitting there going, well, I'm icing the team that's going to help me win games because that's what's going to keep my job. But now they've developed, they turned it from, you know, having a minor league team into like almost an ecosystem where everything is connected. They play a similar style. Jay Woodcroft knows that, hey, he's not going to get fired if the Condors finish 10 games under 500 because if they graduate two players to the, to the NHL and a couple other guys take big steps forward, that's a success. And I think that's kind of been the changer, is just that mindset. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, I... I... I've, I've said it a bunch. We've had, uh, Ryan Holt come on, voice of the Condors a bunch of times, just discussing the, the work that that coaching staff has done down there, led by Jay Woodcroft. And, I mean, it's absolutely awesome. And letting them, the young guys know what they do or have to do to succeed in the NHL, then they, they get up here and they're, they're easy to, <laughs> easily doing it. Uh, I, I got to ask, I guess, about goaltending of the future. We kind of touched on the guys up front, a little bit of the defense. Um, in a dream world for you, Tyler, uh, how do the Oilers solve the goaltending issues long term? Unless you believe Mike Smith can uh, pull a Tom Brady and just keep on going. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they might owe it to him to almost find <laughs> out if he can. But uh, the way I'd go about it is, and I'll explain sort of my rationale here. If you look at all the holes in the Oilers lineup, you know, top six left winger that could be filled by McLeod, Holloway, Lavoie. There's a handful of guys that could fill that spot um, in, in a year or two. You know, third line center again, that could be McLeod. That's something that's findable on free agency. The blue line looks like it is absolutely set with Bouchard knocking at the door. Bear is young. Jones is young. Lagason's young. Like, so many pieces there. The one area they are not set in in their organization is between the pipes. So if I'm the Oilers, and let's say they pick 22nd overall this year, I, I would love if they used the first-round pick this year to go take Sebastian Cosa from the Edmonton Oil Kings. I don't want to sound like a homer, but this guy is legit. He's six-foot-whatever. He's a giant. He's athletic. He's a highly-touted goaltending prospect. Go get him. Suddenly you have him and Konovalov in your system, two guys who I think could you know one day be NHL goalies, and then go out and give up some future assets to either get Elvis Merzlikens or go get Darcy Kemper and pair one of those two with Mike Smith. And then next year you would have Mike Smith back in the crease if he wants to fight it out for another year. You would have Kemper, Ermers, Lickens. One of those two guys can likely be your goaltender for the next four or five years. And then you'll have this A-plus prospect in Sebastian Kosa who could potentially be your guy again in four or five years after when Kemper or Merzlikens is on the backside of their career, and you can just have this next young goalie to step right in and take over the reins. I think that would be the best way to handle the goaltending this offseason. It's pie-in-the-sky situation because 
you know, things aren't always going to break that way. But that's the way I would love to see it happen. Tyler Yermchuk joining me here on the Other Connor Podcast. You, of course, can hear him on the Lowdown with Low Tide on TSN 1260. Get his work at Oilers Nation. And, uh, Tyler, I, I, I'm sure people can probably tell you're driving home from the game. Of course, tonight the NFL draft is on as well. Your Bills just made their pick. Oh, who did they take? Now, do you have any preference before we before I tell you? Did, was there anyone you wanted or thought you could get here? No, I have been firmly on the you just take the best player available because I think their organization is in that kind of spot right now. Gregory Russo, defensive end from the U. I don't, I don't mind it. I yeah. don't mind that at all. I think that's a fine, like, again, I, I was just big on get whoever you think is the best player available and plug them into your lineup. I really didn't think they needed to go too position-specific this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the team's deep enough all around where you almost take best player available and go forward, and I, I really like that pick. That guy can get after the cornerback. Uh, Tyler, just a couple more for you since we, uh, we've we talked about you know the future. We've talked about the game that happened the night that we taped this. Let's just go back into the past a little bit. The games against the Winnipeg Jets earlier on this week. Uh, Monday night, big 6-1 victory on Wednesday. The Oilers win 3-1. One goal, an empty netter. If this is the matchup in the first round of the playoffs and it's starting to look like that's the way it's going to be, how do you like that in a best-of-seven? So, before these last two sets of games, there was a lot of people who said, you know, the Oilers just match up well against the Jets. And I kind of shrugged and went, I'm not sure if they do necessarily match up well against the Jets. I just think they had a couple good games against them and caught the Jets on some off nights. But after the games this week, I think I'm in the side of this is just a good matchup for the Oilers. I think the Jets' forward group is good, and they could potentially have an edge between the pipes with Connor Heller, with Connor Hallibuck, although the Oilers seem to have had his number this season. The big thing for me is just going to be the defense. No matter which way the Jets slice up their defensive pairs, there is a slow defenseman on every single one of those pairings. And I just think that's gravy for Connor McDavid. He's going to look at that, and the play is either going to be Connor McDavid will drive wide past your slow defenseman and create a chance, or the defenseman that's on the other side of that pairing will have to cheat to come over, and that will leave a guy open far side on every odd man rush for Connor McDavid. I honestly do think now it's just a bad matchup, and the Jets just don't have a system to shut down Connor McDavid. I love Paul Maurice as a coach. I really do. And he might be one of the guys who could devise a system to stop McDavid. I just don't think he has the personnel on that blue line, or even up front, because a lot of their good players are slow burners as well. I just I don't think the Jets have what it takes to stop Connor McDavid in a seven game series. I love that matchup for Edmonton. So no fear that Connor Hellebuck could get on a streak and steal a couple games. Here's what I'll say about that: you could say that about almost every team in this division that's going to the playoffs. Maybe not the Leafs, but the Oilers aren't playing the Leafs in round one. I think the odds of Connor Hellebuck stealing a series against the Oilers is the exact same odds as Carey Price stealing a series against the Oilers. I, I just think. You know, Hellebuck is obviously the better goalie right now, but Price has had the Oilers number this year. Hellebuck hasn't, and I think Price could also steal a series. So from that perspective, it would almost be a little bit of pick your poison, and right now, as crazy as it sounds, I think I take the Oilers going up against the reigning Vesna winner. You know what? From what we've seen, I don't think that's that crazy. I mean, I think the Oilers have done a really good job of uh, finding, you know, you know, at least getting guys in front of them, making it difficult, and you've got two of the best goal scorers in the league on your team. I don't think you're crazy to say that at all, Tyler. Uh, what have you thought about Dmitry Kulikov and his time so far with the Oilers? 
I think it was either Murata Tesh or Corey Massasak who joined the lowdown. Uh, one of the two guys from the Athletic when the Oilers acquired Kulikov. And they kind of did the whole, you know, solid, could be a top four guy for you, better on the third pair. He moves the puck okay, but he's a defensive defenseman. And one of them said, when he makes mistakes, you notice the mistakes. Like, they are grade A mistakes. And to me, that scouting report lines up perfectly with what we've seen. He's actually, I've been surprised at how well he moves with the puck and moves the puck, like whether he's skating it up the ice, jumping down to to pinch or passing. I think he's been fine in that. He's clearly good in his own end. He can break up a cycle. He's mean, all that stuff. But in, in the first game, he didn't make any mistakes. In game two and in game three, he made a big mistake in each of those games, and you kind of just go, whew, like I – you don't want him to make that mistake in the third period of a hockey game. So I get a little worried, but hopefully, you know, he's just fitting into a new team, and that's something he can kind of kick here for the playoffs. But that's the only thing that scares me is that he feels like one of those guys that is just always due for one big brain cramp a game, and you just pray it doesn't cost you. Tyler, uh, Jujar Kara and uh, Zach Cassian obviously missing some time with injury. Do you think getting into the playoffs, if you don't have those two, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage? I'm more, I, and this is insane. I can't, I, if you would have told me I'd be saying this at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have believed you. I think missing Kara is a bigger loss than missing Cassian is. Kara's a centerman, kills penalties, has given you some good offense in the bottom six at times this year. You need that guy come playoff time, and it's a head injury. So, like, you cannot force him into the lineup. They should not force him into the lineup. If he passes all protocols and could play Saturday, which apparently there's a chance he might, I would, if I'm the Oilers, I'd say that's great. You pass the protocols, you're healthy, you're good to go. You're sitting another week, Jujar, because yeah. it's been twice now this year he's had problems with this. And, like, one, the hockey side of it's one thing. The life side of it as well. I don't want to be watching a game against Vancouver that means nothing at the end of the regular season and have this guy once again stumble off the ice. That's just awful. No one should do that. So I, they would miss Kara a lot in the playoffs. If he's good to go, yes, bring him back. And if Cassian's good to go as well, you bring him back and hope that you get the electric 2017 cast chops that, that you did in that year and in that series specifically against San Jose. They need them both, but if you're asking me who the bigger loss is, it's Kara. Tyler, do you see any time in the next couple of games here for Evan Bouchard to get back into the lineup? Yeah, I do. Um, and I think we kind of heard that the Oilers are saving one of their recalls to eventually get Evan Bouchard back into the lineup here, but I, I think the I think it's important when you look at that right side of the depth chart. He is clearly their fourth best right shot defenseman. Like there's not really anyone else who could jump up and play that side of the ice comfortably. And in the playoffs, that means you are one injury away from Evan Bouchard having to slot in for a playoff game. I do not want anyone slotting into my lineup for a playoff game that hasn't played in like a month and a half. So for me, in the last three games of the regular season, hell, I would almost make it the last six games of the regular season. I would go to Barry, Larson, and Bear, and I would say, hey, guys, you're each sitting two of the final six games because we have a playoff spot locked up. We want to keep you fresh, and we want Bouchard to be comfortable in case he needs to pinch hit. I think that's the way they should handle it, and I do think, you know, it might not be the six games I want to see, but I do think we'll see Bouchard get into two or three years. Tyler, one last question for you. Really appreciate you hopping on the podcast here tonight. Uh, the Oilers off on Friday, back in action Saturday, 8 o'clock puck drop, taking on the Flames once again. Do you make any changes to the lineup? 
Yeah, I think I do. I put Caleb Jones back in. I, I just think Chris Russell is not playing his best hockey right now, and Caleb Jones is playing his best hockey of the season. And that math right there points me to saying Jones should be back in the lineup. Jones should probably be the guy come playoff time as well. So I would make that change, and I would – like now that you're playing Neil up with McLeod, you can put Shore at center – I love Gaetan Haas, but I might take him out of the lineup, too. He missed on a couple chances today. He didn't look great either. So I would maybe look at moving out uh, Gaetan Haas, putting Shore at center, and bringing in a guy like Tyler Ennis again. So I'd make two changes there. Ennis in for Haas and Jones in for Russell. Love it, Tyler. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Excellent stuff from Tyler Yaramchuk. Give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Yaramchuk and tune in to TSN 1260, 10 a.m. until noon. He is one half of the lowdown with low tide. If you want to get his writing, check out OilersNation.com as well. And I thought Tyler was uh, a voice of the fan there to start off that interview. Just kind of a, a boring game for the Edmonton Oilers on Thursday night. And if you were sitting at home on the couch watching it, you might have fallen asleep. I was uh, back at the TSN 1260 studio, half watching the NFL draft, half watching the game, and uh, of course we had to update Tyler on his Buffalo Bills pick. Uh, I like that. I think it's going to work out. And uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars get their guy, Trevor Lawrence, probably the worst kept secret in NFL draft history, but uh, a fun night for me, maybe not so much for Oilers fans, like I said. Kind of a boring game. But I digress. The Oilers back in action on Saturday, taking on the Calgary Flames once again, perhaps can get a little bit of revenge. And let's talk about the Calgary Flames with someone who covers the team down south. Ryan Pike writes at Flames Nation. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Ryan and Pike. Ryan, thanks a lot for hopping on. How are you doing? I'm doing really well yourself. I I'm doing pretty good and uh I mean I'm sure from your perspective that game was a fun one and and it really good to watch and you probably saw some good things uh from the Oilers fans perspective that I've seen and interacted with not quite so much. They're a grumpy bunch but uh, what did you make of the game Thursday night? Well, I mean, you know, the the Flames are uh, are a group that needs wins and they don't particularly care how they get them and you know, especially, you know, they have no more games against Montreal, so they're pretty happy with, you know, winning in overtime, shootout, regulation, any way they can get them. And, you know, they, they were a group that found a way to win tonight. So you can't, I can't really argue with uh, the methods. And I honestly thought it was probably one of the better 60-minute games they played against Edmonton this season in terms of just not allowing Edmonton's big, scary guns to, you know, really run their show as much as they have in the past. Yeah, I mean, and the Edmonton Oilers for them coming into this game, obviously their third game in four nights, uh, travel included, so a little bit of fatigue, but full march the Flames for going out there and doing what they had to do. Now, I, I believe I've got the updated standings here. Four points back with uh, Montreal does have a game in hand, though. Is there a belief down in Calgary that the Flames can pull this off and find a way to sneak in the back door of the playoffs? I'm not sure how, how genuine the belief is. <laughs> At this point, it's sort of just... I think a certain amount of befuddlement and curiosity because you know, the, the flames were so listless at times under Jeff Ward, especially you know in the mid part of Ward's tenure this season, where it became pretty obvious that they'd have to make some sort of a coaching change. That you know they they were so far behind and so sort of you know unengaged at times that it's kind of like night and day to sort of see how they're playing. So, you know, I think they're playing well enough to give themselves a chance. And, 
you know, if nothing else, it gives them a chance to sort of set a foundation for uh, for a full semi-normal season in 21-22. So 6-4 and four in their last 10, obviously the coaching change, you bring in Sutter. Now, since he's taken over, what have you noticed differently from this team? And, uh, you know, has it been p- positive overall? most part it's been positive it's, it's more tight checking it's much more focused on a, on a structured board check and uh, a more structured uh, defensive zone play so uh, you know Jeff Jeff Ward allowed them to sort of be a bit more freewheeling in the neutral zone and in the offensive zone and under Sutter it's a little bit more buttoned up so we're seeing that it's going to give up a little bit less offensively but also generate a little bit less offensively so the downside is it sort of leads them to sort of play lower event games where, you know, if you hit a hot goaltender, you're not going to have as many scoring chances to let the percentages bounce, you know, bounce themselves out. So, the you know, the, the darn puck luck has the opportunity to bite you in the butt a little bit more often when you're not getting that many chances. So, but on the other hand, you know, they've, they've had some bad puck luck too on their own end where, you know, they, they tend not to give up a lot of good scoring chances, but because of... You know, a lot of guys getting used to the defensive structure. You're, you're seeing some big breakdowns, and the two or three really good scoring chances the Flames give up per game tend to be ending up in the back of the head. I mean, a nice goal by James Neal is a good example where, you know, the, the Flames come back on a transition and aren't quite, you know, where they need to be coming back in the offensive zone. And James Neal is given way too much time to get a nice shot off. And, you know, in, in this league, if you give James Neal that much time to get a shot off, he's going to do something nice with it. Uh, you mentioned hot goaltending, and uh, Jacob Markstrom tonight I thought played quite well. Uh, had a big save on James Neal on a breakaway there. Makes uh, 30 saves on 31 shots. Uh, this year maybe not gone the way that Flames fans would have liked, but what have you thought about the uh, big free agent acquisition? I liked him. He's, he's been basically what, what I expected him to be. Uh, he, he had an injury uh, against, you know, he had a collision against Vancouver. Uh, I think how long it was. It was before the coaching change, over that's how long ago it was. Uh, and then he seemed to, to sort of need some time to get his game back. But in the last little while, especially, you know, since just before the trade deadline, Marshall has been, you know, really dialed in. And, you know, he, he's the type of goaltender where if he gets enough shots early on, he'll be sort of engaged, he'll get his tracking down, he'll get his timing down, and he'll be really good for you. And, and I think the thing that makes me curious is, Long term, will he be able to sort of adjust to sort of the low event, low danger chances under Daryl Scudder? Because you know, Markstrom has traditionally been a guy who needs more pucks on him early and throughout a game to sort of get his sense of things. So we'll see how that turns out long term. But you know, so far he's bounced back nicely from sort of a, a kind of iffy middle part of the season. Uh, Ryan, I saw on Twitter today during the game uh, a couple Oilers beat writers saying, uh, "What's up with Matthew Kachuk? Like, I I like when he's out there running around, being a little bit ticked off, and I guess for the lack of better words, just making it a little more entertaining for uh, for us to watch." Uh, what have you made of of Kachuk this year? And is there any truth to the reports that you know maybe teammates earlier on in this season might have been a little bit sick of the way he was playing and that that style that he was kind of I guess drawing other teams out? Well, on the second part, obviously, you know, with, with the way this season has been for with media access, you know, we're not in the room, so I, I'm not going to speculate on sort of 
know what his relationship with teammates because to be quite honest, we don't see enough of those relationships <laughs> inside or outside of the room to really be able to judge. Uh, in terms of play style, I think that the thing that he's sort of made adjustments on is before you could sort of see him try to do everything on his own, and you could make an argument that he tries to do too much. And I think, you know, if you look at, you know, tonight's game is a good example where, you know, he, he didn't really try to do as much. He wasn't really showing, you know, as showy as, you know, potentially he's been in the past. But, you know, he looked at the, he got two assists on a couple of nice little plays, you know, on the, the second goal by Lindholm. You know, Lindholm wins the face-off. Kachuk manages to help him win a battle and draw the puck back to the point leading to the goal. And, uh, and you know, on the on, even on, on Lindholm's first goal in the first period, you know, Kachuk gets in position. He makes a nice little play uh, to Lindholm for the, for the pass. So he, he, I think he's doing a lot more things quietly well rather than sort of being as, you know, bull of the China stop. Uh, and I, and I think you know, it's, I think it's an adjustment for him, but I think it might be an adjustment that Daryl Sutter wants him to make in order to sort of be a bit more of a, a team player rather than sort of being you know a guy trying to drag eighteen other guys with him. <laughs> Maybe a, a maturation as well, right? Uh, if you want to put that kind of spin on it, uh, Mark Giordano, thirty-seven years old, logging twenty-seven minutes tonight. Uh, is this guy showing any signs of slowing down? Yes and no. I, I think. Uh, he he's definitely not a Norris caliber defenseman anymore, but you know, outside of you know unicorns, there's not really a lot of guys who are that good in the mid to late thirties to begin with. Giordano so is sort of you know uh, bucking the age trend. He, he's gone from being sort of a an exceptional first pairing defenseman to being a pretty good second pairing guy. And for much of the season, uh, you know, the, the Hannison and Anna pairing were used more as the, the top pairing, uh, especially with how the deployments were. And, and Giordano sort of getting a little bit of soft fitness in, in his deployments. Uh, since Daryl's come in, uh, Daryl's put him with Chris Tanev. And the, the thing that Tanev does well, the, the defensive play, the, the overall smartness that Tanev has in all situations has really allowed Giordano to sort of take more chances defensively and get more engaged in the play, whereas, you know, previously, Giordano was playing more with Rasmus Anderson. Rasmus Anderson is a younger guy. He's not as good defensively as Tanev is, and so I think Giordano had to sort of cover up a lot. You, you can sort of make the comparison to sort of how the Flames, you know, how Giordano was in a way with, uh, you know, comparing with you know, someone like Dougie Hamilton and someone like T.J. Brody, where Dougie Hamilton, exceptional offensive player, he's, you know, he's fine defensively, but, you know, defense isn't his calling card. And so Giordano, when he was with him, had to cover up him a bit. He didn't get as much offensive output. Well, with Brody, Brody's such a good skater. He can cover up so much with, you know, his mobility. It allowed Giordano to really effectively engaged. And, you know, hell, that, that, that's what got for Giordano his Norris trophy. So... <laughs> You know, that's, that's a long way of saying, you know, it's, it's hard to really say how much the Jornalis, you know, the, the occasional struggles early in the season were, you know, deployments, were there's pairings, were there phases aids. Uh, but he seems, especially since, you know, he's been paired with Chris Tanner the last, you know, 10 or so games, he's been really, really good. And, you know, he looks. Maybe not quite like the old Giordano, so to speak, but he looks a lot closer than he was being in the season. Ryan Pike of Flames Nation joining me here on the Other Connor Podcast. Uh, Ryan, if the Flames are unable to make the playoffs and do miss Soto, what do you think the offseason looks like going forward? And could could there be changes with kind of that core in Calgary? 
I think the Owens have to make some changes because, you know, they, they've, they've, I think they've had enough years where, you know, the general manager Bradshaw living has sort of probably gone in going, well, let's keep the band together because, and he's always had a justification for it. I mean, if you look at, you know, this past summer, you know, let's keep the band together because, well, you know, there was a weird bubble playoff and they were playing reasonably well before the stoppage in March and then everything sort of went to bluey and it was, you know, not a regular season. And then the year before it was, you know, let's keep the band together because, well, they just got, you know, they got hit by a, a white-hot Colorado Avalanche team in, 19, in 2019 and, you know, the Flames will learn, the core will learn from it. And I think this year, you know, they, they kept the band together. They went out and they got a star goalie in Markstrom. They went out and made a nice, uh, you know, I, I for what the Flames needed. I think Chris Tanner was a better fit for the role than P.J. Brody or Travis Hamannick would be. And, you know, I think they hope that Rasmus Anderson can take a step. He, didn't, he hasn't quite taken a step. I think they hope he would. But for the most part, you know, keeping the band together hasn't really panned out. And, you know, if, if it hasn't panned out by now, you almost need to start making tinkers to that main core rather than sort of making tinkers around the fringes like they had the last season. So I think they're going to make some changes. I think they're going to probably look around to see what options are. Um, but, I, you know, to be honest, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do because we're a year away, you know, the summer of 2021 or 2022, rather. You know, the, the Flames have Andrew Mangiapane up. They have Matthew Kachuk and Mark Giordano and Johnny Gaudreau all up in the contract. And they're going to probably need to make a decision potentially as early as this summer. Who do they want to build in that long term? Because to be quite honest, I don't know if they have the cap space to keep everyone they want to keep. Ryan, uh, you've obviously got a chance to see all the teams in the North Division play quite a bit this year. Uh, obviously, the Maple Leafs right now kind of lean the way in the North. Uh, Winnipeg, Edmonton, uh, Montreal rounding out the top four. From your perspective, uh, do you have any favorites uh, to maybe go on a little bit of a run here and uh, come out of the North Division? Right now, I think it's hard to argue against Toronto. I think the big question mark for them is the goaltending uh you know, you don't know how Freddie Anderson's going to be, how healthy he's going to be. And, you know, Jack Campbell and, and uh, David Riddick have been sort of, you know, up and down. I think Campbell had that great stretch. He's been kind of iffy the last little bit. So I think for me, Toronto's big question mark is a goaltending. But I really like the move they made in the offseason to bring in the different forward group. I think they're sort of doing the right thing, building around their young guys and sort of bringing in the right types of people to sort of flash out the lineup and give them different looks for different situations. So, you know, in, until someone can come in and show, you know, especially in this division, there's really been no one who's been able to run Toronto's show on a consistent basis. And so until, you know, that changes, I, I think it's going to be hard to bet against them. Now, if Edmonton meets up with Winnipeg in the first round of the playoffs, uh, obviously I know these aren't the teams that you cover, but from your perspective, uh, do you have a favorite coming out of that one? I'm leaning Edmonton. I think the challenge for the Jets is, that, you know, all due respect to the Jets, they, they've found ways to underwhelm, and they tend to get some bad injuries at the long time. I mean, if you look right now, you know, they're missing Adam Lowry. Uh, I forget who the other injury was, but I know they've, they're losing some key bodies. And, and I think that, that's what happened last year for them in the playoffs, where, you know, they were playing the claim in the first, first round, and they lost too many key players too early and they weren't able to play their game. And I, you know, I'm just worried with the, the Jets that that'll happen again. Whereas I think the Oilers, you know, 
they've had the ability where, you know, if you lose a Nugent Hopkins, you lose a dry sale, you know, you know, you have no or no McDavid for a game or two. I think they have enough high, high end depth with two or three really good pieces that they can withstand losing one. And if you keep all three healthy and you only lose some depth, well, whatever, you're, I think you'd be fine with going short bench for a while when the three or four guys you really rely on are that good. Ryan, I really appreciate you doing this today. Uh, coming up again on Saturday, these two teams meet once again. It's an 8 o'clock puck drop. Do you expect any lineup changes for the Flames? I would expect zero lineup changes for the Flames. Uh, they haven't really, especially... You know, during this last whole run, you know, outside of Hannafin's uh, injury and Josh Levo's uh, COVID diagnosis, they've made zero chances in the lineup. So I think Daryl Sutter is going to basically go with the group that got them here to this point. And in the event they feel that qualified before the end of the season will get eliminated, I think that's only the time we're going to see some lineup changes. But until then, I think they're just going to stick with the same uh, 20 guys. Good to know. Really appreciate this uh, rundown, Ryan, and uh, I'll have to get you on again down the road. Excellent. Excellent stuff from Ryan Pike of Flames Nation. Really appreciate him hopping on the podcast for the Edmonton Oilers. They're back in action on Saturday, looking to avenge the loss on Thursday evening to the Calgary Flames when the two teams meet once again. It's an 8 o'clock puck drop, so if you are looking for some pregame coverage, make sure you tune into TSN 1260. Tom Gazzola, former NHLer Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered on TSN 1260. Coverage beginning at 6.30. And that is going to wrap it up for us here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. Big thank you to our guest, Ryan Pike of Flames Nation, as well as Tyler Uremchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation for the Edmonton Oilers. Like I said, back in action on Saturday, taking on the Calgary Flames. And then on Monday, a matchup against the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Connor Halley. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.